Hello, and welcome to another podcast series uh, with In Town Community Church. Uh, my name is Luke Brodeen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm here today with uh, Jimmy Egan, our senior pastor. The topic we're going to be covering uh, for the next few episodes is talking with Jimmy about the lessons that he learned on sabbatical uh, that he took earlier this year. So, Jimmy, I think first off, in my mind, can you um, help us know what does, what is a sabbatical, and why do why do people take them? The Old Testament talks about the need for the land physically um, that God's people were living in to be given a sabbatical year when it could lie fallow and kind of rest and recover its energy to to raise better crops in the coming uh, seven years. And so uh, people have transferred that to uh, pastors and ministry to say, hey, it's, it's good to have a break uh, so that you can rest up and be more full of energy for the next season of ministry. And how often do pastors typically do this? We use that biblical rhythm of seven years. So in, in most churches that have a sabbatical practice, uh, after seven years of full-time ministry, you'd have a, a season away, and it may be a, a few weeks or a few months. And what's a common misunderstanding that people have around sabbaticals? There are two that come to mind. One is, uh, well, it's just kind of a long vacation. Um, and uh, the second would be that it's, uh, it's the thing you do before you uh, leave a place. Uh, I, I taught at a seminary where the policy was once when you take a sabbatical, you have to commit to teaching for at least one year after the sabbatical. So the sabbatical wasn't a chance to go interview at other schools and, uh, and move on to the next place. So really that idea of trying to gain energy and vision and renewal for the next season of ministry in the same place. So, Jimmy, what were um, some of the goals that you had going into your, uh, your time away? One was definitely rest, um, and Luke, you'll understand and appreciate this. Uh, being a pastor during a pandemic, uh, being anyone during a pandemic, is uh, stressful. And so after seven years of ministry, it, it'd be good to have a sabbatical. But when a couple of those years were pandemic years, um, yeah, it was time for some real deep rest uh, for me and for Trisha, my wife. And um, so that was definitely one goal. Um, another, though, is just to see what God uh, has been doing over the centuries and continues to do in a place that we love greatly, which is the United Kingdom. We lived in Scotland for a couple of years in the mid-90s and have traveled in the UK a good bit. And we always try to see what is, uh, what's God doing that's bigger than the place where we are. And uh, we wanted to learn about that. When I think of the history of the church, and specifically of the, of the church in the West, uh, I tend to think of, uh, you know, very far back to uh, Rome and Italy, and then with the Reformation, I think of continental Europe. And I, I don't think of a lot of contributions other than, say, like John Knox and the Westminster uh, Confession and those things that came out of the United Kingdom. Uh, what are some of the significant things that have been uh, passed down to the church by way of Christians in the United Kingdom? Yeah, it's a part of the story that I was not very familiar with and that most people probably aren't. Um, but would regularly, when I was a student at the University of Aberdeen, walk past a place called St. Mocker's Cathedral. Um, the building was started in the 11th century. Uh, but the site had been used for Christian worship since the year 525 A.D. Uh, 
And that just first opened my eyes to this movement of Celtic Christianity, kind of the third century to the eighth century uh, in uh, Ireland and then uh, Scotland, northern England, southwestern England, the area known as Cornwall. And um, there's a whole lot of our story that links in to those centuries, parts that we tend not to know as well. And um, really the revitalization of the church, not only in Britain, but as those churches sent missionaries to continental Europe, the revitalization of the church in many nations uh, in those early centuries. So, Jimmy, what, um, what were you hoping to learn and to see specifically uh, in your travels in regards to church history? So Trisha and I have had a chance to travel in Cornwall, which is the uh, southwestern tip of, the, uh, of, of Great Britain, the, the largest island that makes up that nation. And um, we had learned about a lot of uh, leading figures from the early centuries of the church there, and we knew that we were going to spend a good deal of time walking in that area and walking in paths that were used by Christian pilgrims centuries ago. So wanted to learn more about that, wanted to learn more about these people who um, I might have known them by name or read one story about them, and just fill in some of the blanks. And then there were some key places that we wanted to visit that were sites that were really important to early Christians. Um, And uh, one of them is a place called St. Piran's Oratory, St. Piran uh, was from Ireland. He was exiled from Ireland, came to Cornwall, and brought the gospel with him, and um, was a key leader there. He's kind of the patron saint of Cornwall. If you see the Cornish flag, it's this black flag with a white cross on it. That's called St. Piran's Cross. And uh, we have been reading and studying for several years anticipating this trip about him and about this location where an oratory is a chapel where uh, he would have spent time in prayer and meditation and invited others to, to worship there with him as he kind of mentored them. Um, was really excited to see that place. Now, Jimmy, remind me, um, where is Cornwall? <laughs> yeah, so if, if you get out a map and you look at the UK, you're going to see this huge island that's called Great Britain and um, this tiny little peninsula sticking out to the southwest. Uh, If you've heard of Land's End, it's the uh, most uh, westerly point in all of Great Britain. Um, And uh, that is located in Cornwall. So that's the part of the island that we're talking about. Okay, and it's right along the coast. Obviously, a lot of Great Britain is close to the coast. (laughs) It's an island. Yeah, we spent uh, three weeks walking on during our sabbatical on the Southwest Coast Path, it's known as. It's a 650-mile path, really rugged, beautiful. Uh, We walked about 160 miles of it over three weeks, and we were right in the heart of uh, this territory where Celtic Christianity flourished in those early centuries. So tell me, uh, did you, um, in your... Um, hiking and going to see these places. Tell me about uh, actually getting to go and see uh, the oratory. I'd love to tell you that story. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Um, And then there's some sorrow and some sweetness wrapped up in this. Uh, And it's one of the things you asked about goals of the sabbatical. Um, 
other than a desire to learn more about what God was doing in this period known as Celtic Christianity and, and, and how that still shows up in, in modern churches in the UK, I didn't have a long list. Um, but one of the goals was just to listen. What is God teaching me? Um, and I, I heard the answer very clearly. <laughs> the answer is surrender. I want to teach you about surrender, um, you know, what it means to, uh, just the way Paul puts it in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, uh, let, letting go of everything and, and seeing everything as loss because knowing Jesus is worth so much more. Uh, that kind of surrender. Uh, that was that was God's curriculum for me during the sabbatical. I didn't know that going in, but I did learn it, and it had to do with um, not getting to visit St. Piran's oratory. So obviously you tried to go and see the oratory, but what happened? Why didn't you get to see it? Yeah, well, let me say a little bit more about why I wanted to see it so badly. Um, this is a building that dates back to the four or maybe early 500s A.D., um, and just, you know, having seen a few places like that before in my life, it's a powerful thing to stand in a spot and, and think to yourself, God was working here, um, over a millennium ago. And, uh, and this is one of the key sites for all of, uh, Christian history in this part of, uh, Southwestern England really wanted to go there. So, um, and I knew that it was located just a few hundred yards off of the path that we're going to be walking on, the Southwest Coast Path. So excited. Um, had it mapped out, and here's this 12-mile walk we're doing one day. And about 10 miles in, we're going to reach a, a stretch of sands. They're called large sand dunes. And St. Piran's Oratory is in those sand dunes. Uh, so I was looking forward to that. We've, we've gone 10 miles. We hit the sand dunes, and um, everything becomes just wilderness. I would call it a trackless waste. Um, <laughs> you know, that sounds a bit harsh, but uh, you've got this beautiful ocean on one side, and then straight ahead of you and off to the left, all we could see were just these mountains of sand with uh, beach grasses growing all over them. And we were following a well-marked uh, path, and suddenly the markers disappeared, and we had two more miles to go to get where we were staying that night. Um, and we just had to kind of find our way, um, knowing that we didn't want to wind up in the ocean, knowing that we didn't want to wander around in sand dunes for, um, aimlessly for hours. And I began to sense, like, it may not be easy to find this place that I want to go visit. Um, and so just started praying and, and saying, Lord, you know, I, this is something I've been looking forward to for a while. This is a pretty deep running desire that I have. And would you help us? Could you could just help us to find some marker to point the way? Um, and we don't know where it is. We don't know how we'll get there from here, but please help. We keep walking and uh, the, the path becomes more and more confusing. Um, and I start to realize we may not find this. Um, and, and during that process, Luke, I started to feel like, okay, the desire to see this place, St. Piran's Oratory, 
is actually symbolic of something bigger in my life. Like I might have to give up the desire to see this thing. Oh yeah, there are some other things in my heart that I may need to let go of. And so there's kind of this wrestling process that as you're hot and you're tired and you're trying to find your way <laughs> across the, the, the sand, um, God's doing something that he's using this one smaller desire to teach me on a much deeper level what it would mean to let go of some of my tendencies as a perfectionist um, and a desire to know the future with certainty, a desire to know with certainty some details about the past. And so I really didn't want to be wrestling with all these things as we were wandering through the sand, but there we were. And uh, we, we came within about 400 yards of it, but couldn't get there. And um, I was pretty disappointed. But one of the things I'm praying along the way is, Lord, help me let go of this. If, if, if this is not your purpose for me today to see this place, um, help me to let go. Help me to lay that desire down. And I thought I'd done that. But then I found for like the next three or four days, my, my mind kept rewinding. And I kept thinking, you know, um, let me look it up on Google Maps and find the exact coordinates, GPS, and um, I can get a bus back there the next morning, and then I'll go catch up with Tricia. Yeah, that'll work. Or um, we have a rest day coming up. So while she's resting, um, I'll, uh, I'll get a bus or a taxi to take me back there. And just realized I hadn't let go of that desire at all. And uh, again, deeper wrestling with God. Like, why can't I let go of this? Um, and then I, I heard the Holy Spirit asking me a question, um, which was, hey, what did seeing that place represent in your heart? Um, what is it that you're really longing for? And I, I had to wrestle with that a bit. And, and, and I unpacked it in terms of, I want a sense of connection with God and his people. And I kind of hear the Spirit saying, you can have that even if you don't get to see that place, can't you? Yeah, you're right, Holy Spirit, as you almost always are. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, well, I wanted a sense of awe at God's bigness, His work over centuries. And, again, here's the Holy Spirit reminding me, you can have that through the Scriptures, you can have that through worship, you can have that through seeing what God's done in your life and, and seeing what he's done in the natural world. You don't have to go to that place to have that, do you? No, I don't. Um, and even a sense of, of rootedness, you know, standing in a real place and, and, and seeing this physical structure and being reminded that, that a, a particular people, the Cornish people, receive the gospel through this ministry of this one man, I wanted to really cherish that in that place. And here's the Holy Spirit reminding me, you know what? The gospel and its work in the world are real, even if you don't get to go see that place. Um, and it left me with this question of, um, do I want to learn the Lord's truth in my way, or do I want to learn the Lord's truth in the Lord's way? Um, now, as soon as we ask the question, we know what the right answer ought to be, but we also know our own hearts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's easier to want our way. 
Um, so those were some of the things that we were wrestling through uh, as we wandered through the sand and then the next several days of having to really dig deep and let go of that uh, desire to see that place, but find the Spirit saying those deeper desires can be met in other ways. Wow, Jimmy, that, that sounds so hard to have spent years planning to see this one place that held, held such significance and you understood. Um, I know that I've had those experiences as well, that um, something that you've built up in your mind and your heart, and you have that moment where God takes it and you have to move on and he leaves you with something else and actually something else that's better. Um, what, do you have anything that you'd like to add um, to end the story? Just a few days after I'd gone through all this wrestling process, we were walking into another town called Hale, and um, we got to the place that we were staying, a little uh, B&B, and looked across the river and saw this church tower, and I, I didn't expect it to be there. I was like, what, what? I knew where most churches were in this area, and here's this ancient church building sticking up. I don't recognize it. I looked it up on my map, and I realized, oh my goodness, this this is a church where um, a stone was found. It's It's got this Cairo symbol, the first two Greek letters of, of the name of Christ, um, carved into this stone, which has been embedded into the wall of this church. The stone dates from um, the 400s AD. It points to the presence of Christians in this area as back back as far as the 300s. This is one of the oldest uh, examples of Christian symbolism anywhere in Great Britain. And it was a sweet surprise. And it was like God was saying, you know, surrender is hard and there's sorrow, there's loss, but um, there can be sweetness in it too. I walked a mile over, saw that church, took plenty of pictures and as I was walking back, I was praying and just saying, Lord, thank you for both the sorrow of surrender and this moment of sweetness. And literally the moment I was praying that, this rainbow pops up in the sky. Um, and and God's way of, of, of just saying, you know, that the scriptures are true. Uh, we may have to lose a lot in our journey as believers in Jesus. Um, but there is sweetness and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And, and like you said, he's, he's never going to leave us in that place of absence, um, but he's going to work in deeper and better ways than we could imagine. Um, glad he had that moment of redemption at the end of the long journey for me. So Jimmy, help me connect some dots here that this is a story about perhaps you could see it as a tourist didn't get to see the thing that he had built up in his mind was going to be something amazing, but learned about surrender in that. How can someone that maybe is uh, struggling with something far deeper uh, in pain uh, in, in life uh, that surrender is needed? How can, how can we connect these? Yeah, great question, Lou. So I, I told you about getting to see this kind of surprise um, church, and it's 
Christian symbolism, this Cairo stone and the rainbow. The very next day, Trisha and I walked uh, to a church called Light and Life Church in Hale. And the worship leader, the very first words out of his mouth were, it's time to surrender. The closing song was called Lay It All Down. The whole theme of the whole service was surrender. And by the end of that service, I, I just felt like God had made me ready to deal with some of those bigger issues. Remember I said, walking through the sand, that going to see that building, St. Piran's Oratory, was becoming a symbol for much bigger and deeper things. I was ready to deal with the bigger and the deeper and the harder things in that Sunday worship service. And so I began writing in my sabbatical journal, Lord, I am ready to lay these things down. I am laying down the quest for being a perfect father. Um, we have adult kids. I, I have enough perspective to look back and see all the mistakes I've made in parenting. And they hurt deeply. And I, I, I don't know that all that pain will ever be completely healed in my life or theirs. Can I let go of that and rest in Jesus? Um, questions about every ministry transition I've ever made. Lord, did I, did I abandon sheep that you had called me to when I left that flock to go shepherd this other flock? Um, I hold on to those questions, and, and they're hard to let go. And for the first time in my life to say, I'm ready to lay that down. I don't have to have certainty about all of those things. I can trust Jesus. Um, and those are some big burdens that I've been carrying for a long time. And I know that there are a lot of people who carry burdens like that and more serious. And um, I can't promise that there's going to be a rainbow at the end of uh, that journey of surrender for every person. But I know that, uh, that Christ, through Christ we know there's resurrection glory uh, beyond every crucifixion sorrow. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit of a peek into uh, your experiences of church history there in the United Kingdom. And that's it for this episode. We'll uh, be back next time to talk about uh, lessons learned in nature.